I'm Anthony Scaramucci, and welcome to Open Book, where I talk with some of the most interesting and brilliant minds in our world today. In this show, I'll bring on guests in business, politics, entertainment, and more to go deep into a piece of their work, whether it's a highly anticipated book, an in-depth feature story, or an opinion piece that has captured my attention. We'll dig into why it matters to you and how their work is shaping our future. On today's episode, I talk with veteran political reporter Andrew Kurtzman, who is an amazing author and wrote an incredible book called Giuliani, The Rise and Tragic Fall of America's Mayor. Rudolph Giuliani, the most famous prosecutor of the 1980s, the most prominent mayor of the 90s, and a hero after 9-11. So where did it all go wrong? Andrew covered Rudy for three decades as a political reporter. Like me, he once looked up to Rudy. I worked for Mir Giuliani in 1989. At the age of 25, he was the first political check that I ever wrote. It was a $250 check, Young Republicans for Rudolph Giuliani. He lost that election, by the way, but went on to win in 93. I was also there with him. Andrew Kurtzman's book, his new book, Giuliani, The Rise and Tragic Fall of America's Mayor, tells the story of how it all came crashing down for Rudy. We're going to cover Rudy's legacy, whether it's something he cares about. He doesn't. Let me just give you the tagline there. If he was always conflicted or what has caused him to spiral, Andrew has an interesting take on how Rudy created the template for the Trump presidency. And the most fascinating thing was how much Andrew uncovered about Rudy's background, his family, and what that can tell us about his character. So joining us on an open book is Andrew Kurtzman. He is the author of Giuliani, The Rise and Tragic Fall of America's Mayor. And full disclosure, I've known Mayor Giuliani since 1989, so I have a 33-year relationship with the mayor. You know, Andrew, I'm fond of the mayor. Now, I, I am distressed by what has happened to the mayor, frankly, and your book is a wonderful expose of the good and the bad of Mayor Giuliani. And I just want to say this up front, and I think you know this because you interviewed me for this book. I looked up to the mayor and uh, I have a lot of respect for him. And in your first book, you write about almost a different person. So we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, but start by taking us back to when you, Andrew Kurtzman, first met Rudolph Giuliani in 1992. Sure. Um, I was uh, the Giuliani reporter when um, New York won New York's um, all news television news station went on the air. And even before the first day that we broadcast, I had uh, breakfast with Giuliani uh, at the Waldorf Astoria. And he laid out why he would win his rematch with David Dinkins. And um, he was just a fascinating candidate um, from the beginning. Um, Dinkins, you know, Dinkins was an historic figure. He came into City Hall with a huge amount of excitement. He was the first black mayor. But I think he got kind of tied up in what I'd call the paralysis of good intentions. There was just kind of a, this sclerotic uh, way of uh, dealing things or not dealing with things as the city was kind of falling apart. Giuliani came, came out and said, 
said things that were just common sense, but were kind of considered heresy by the Democratic establishment, meaning there is no right to urinate in the street. There is no right to sleep in a subway car. Just like things that today sound like common sense, but back then, then were considered civil rights kind of red flags. And, you know, he had no allegiance to uh, the Democratic establishment, to liberal groups, to civil liberties groups, to the black community. And that gave him a lot of license, political license, to um, to crack some heads, so to speak. So and, and, and crack some heads he did. Did you like living in New York while he was mayor? I mean, I've always loved living in New York. I'm born and raised here. But look, I mean, New York was was facing uh, Nadir then. I mean, the streets were really out of control. The murder rate was high. You know, garbage was piled up in the streets. I mean, it was a city that had ceased to become governable, right? And one of the things that was so refreshing about Giuliani was that he he proved to New York that New York City was governable, right? And it was, you know, as a reporter, just watching him on a daily basis, you know, stand as a solitary figure at City Hall against the tide of virtually every interest group in New York and hold fast and say, we're going to do this regardless of what you guys say. And then watch him kind of turn this city around was as both a reporter and as a New Yorker, a really extraordinary thing to watch. And I don't want to kind of glamorize this because there was a huge downside to it as well. But we can get to that. Well, well, do we need that now, Andrew, in New York? Uh, I mean, I think Eric Adams was elected under the same circumstances. Right. Bill de Blasio was, you know, a left leaning ideologue. Right. While things started to fall apart. And I think New Yorkers decided we don't need ideology. We need someone to, like, get the city under control. OK, so you're a very polite guy. So you're 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 sometimes you're skirting the question. No, you're skirting the question. It's OK. You're allowed to sort of skirt the question. You're a great author. But the truth of the matter is the city's an unmitigated disaster. And what works are Bloomberg and Giuliani-like policies, and it's actually fairer for everybody. Now, stop and frisk probably was a step too far. I think we all look back at that now and say that possibly that it was. Um, but we need to make the city safer and cleaner. Otherwise, we're going to, you know, we're going to end up like a lot of these other urban nightmares that are pocking the United States. Let me go back for a second, okay? Because I wrote Mr. Giuliani, I think I, I mentioned this to you. I wrote him a check for $250 in 1989. I was young Republicans for Rudolph Giuliani. He was unsuccessful in that race, uh, but I supported him again in 1993. I was slightly less younger, but at 29, sort of still young. And he won in 93, which was transformative for me. And so I'm always going back to that era of Giuliani. He did have a divot in his mayoral administration in 2001. Take us back for a second, because he was roundly unpopular in, let's call it, August of 2001. You know, it's a common misperception about what kind of political shape Giuliani was in before 9-11, right? I think the conventional wisdom fed by a lot of kind of misleading media stories has it that Giuliani was kind of a failed or not a failed, but a very unpopular politician and the city couldn't wait to get rid of him at the time. It's just not true. I mean, a, a few months 
earlier in that year, his popularity plummeted during the Patrick Dorismond affair. It was uh, you know, someone who was an innocent man who was killed by police. Giuliani mishandled the situation and his numbers plummeted. By September of 2001, Giuliani's popularity was over 50%, which as you know, a political professional, you know, it is fine for an incumbent, especially someone who's been in office for eight years, right? So I think that's been overstated a bit. But big picture, was the city kind of ready to move on from Giuliani after eight years of bombast? I I think that's a fair statement. Okay. Um, There's a quote at the start of the book, which I love. Okay. Uh, And he has said this, by the way, and I know this for certain. I don't care about my legacy. I'll be dead. Now, I've heard him say it. Okay. So I know he has said it. Um, and I'm sure you've referenced it from other people that have heard him say that. Do you believe that about the mayor? Do you believe he doesn't care about his legacy, that he'll be dead? I do believe that. I do believe that. For one thing, it, it kind of um, it, it's the kind of subtext to why he didn't cooperate with me for this book. I mean, I emphasized to him numerous times that this, you know, no one else was writing a biography of you. This is it. This is what's going to live in history. You know, if you want this this book to be accurate and to reflect your uh, views, this is this is the time. And, you know, his feeling was, I don't care. I don't care. You know, uh, and, and so I think that goes to the heart of the Giuliani story. And I write about this extensively in my book, which is his sense of moral certitude that he's right and everyone else is wrong. And, you know, it served him well during his mayoralty, as I said, when, you know, the the political forces were all against him and he stood his ground, but was catastrophic for uh, his his really terrible decisions um, that led his career astray and eventually damaged the country. I mean, to this day, he's like he's this kind of fanatic about Joe Biden being corrupt. He's still defending the, the notion that the election was stolen from Trump. And he feels he's right and everyone's wrong. And that got him into trouble and got the country into great trouble. When do you think he stopped caring, Andrew? It's a good question. I think somewhere along the line, after 2016, when Trump became president and the criticism of Giuliani snowballed, you know, there was a sense again of, you know, screw him, right? I'm on the side of morality. I'm on the side of truth. And, you know, the humiliations just piled up, right? The Borat film, the hair dye press conference, right? The Four Seasons press conference. He would go on television and, and, make kind of a fool of himself, you know, in any number of those bombastic interviews with Chuck Todd. And he just stopped caring what the world believed about him. Yeah, look, it's very, very, it's very tragic for me. He was a famous prosecutor in the 80s, the most famous mayor in the 90s, a hero, many people, Time Magazine's man of the year after 9-11. But yet, and this is something you write beautifully about, there was always a conflict in there somewhere. There's always a struggle for his personal identity. Why is that, you think? And then when do you think he really started spiraling? You know, I think it's a it's a, another good question. I, I think that Giuliani has always kind of been at war with the two sides of his of his personality, right? He's at war between the um, instinct to do the right thing and the instinct to preserve himself politically and advance himself politically. You know, you saw it innumerable times during his mayoralty, right? When he came to the aid of the victims 
of that plane crash and, you know, stood up to the uh, the head of the TWA. And um, I mean, any number of occasions where he really stood up for his people. And and th- those were his, you know, those were great instincts on his part. But he made so many self-interested moral compromises, right? You know, ranging from selling out after 9-11, right? Opening that consulting firm and trading on his America's mayor's name to endorsing Donald Trump. And Trump, um, according to one of Giuliani's closest aides, Giuliani in 2016 thought of Trump as a carnival barker. And yet Trump was the only person knocking on his door. Giuliani had already crashed and burned in the 2008 presidential race. He really had no political future until Donald Trump came along. And then it was just one moral compromise after another throughout the Trump presidency. I mean, now... You know, Giuliani always considered himself a moral man. In fact, that's kind of key to his personality, that he was always on the side of morality. But there's nothing moral left about him. Every Everything he does now has kind of a, um, a quality of immorality. Okay, so that's my greatest sadness, right? Because ultimately, when I was looking up to the mayor, I was like, ultimately, this guy is making right or wrong decisions in a principled sort of a way. And now later in his life, he's just making impetuous decisions that have no basis on any of those principles. So uh, this is why I find your book so fascinating, because you go into his career, you go into his life, and there seems to be this ambiguity or this two-sidedness to him. And it's tragic to me, Andrew. I'm just talking to you very candidly. It's tragic to me. It is. I mean, that's part of the, you know, that's the subtitle to my book. It is a tragic story. It is a tragic story. No question about that. There, There was a time where if you had asked me who was going to be the 2008 nominee for the Republican Party, I would have said Rudolph Giuliani. Of course, I got that wrong. Um, he was the front runner for the entire year for president in the Republican primary right. before it went downhill. It, it is another great rise and fall story. Um, can you go into that a little bit? What were some of the lowest moments after that race, uh, which you beautifully detail in the book? Thank you. Well, you know, it's one of the most, it was one of the most kind of jaw-dropping revelations that I learned in the course of reporting this book, that I I spoke extensively with Judith Giuliani, who was um, Rudy's wife at the time, enormously polarizing figure in Giuliani's world, you know, had effectively separated him from all of his advisors, all of his friends. There, There was a constant war between the two. Very, very bright, very perceptive, but manipulative. And um, she told me a story about the weeks and months after Giuliani um, dropped out of the 2008 race, right? So he drops out in the end of January 2008. It is the end of his political career, the end of his dreams of becoming the first Italian Catholic president. He's now uh, tarnished his 9-11 halo. His uh, financial potential, his earnings potential has now dropped because he's no longer kind of, he's kind of shot his chance of, you know, becoming president. Now he's kind of a political loser. And he falls into a depression. He starts to drink. Judy um, moves him to Florida, to her parents' house. The press finds out. And who takes him under his wing but Donald Trump? And Donald Trump um, opens up the doors to Mar-a-Lago, 
and Judith and uh, Rudy move into Mar-a-Lago for over a month. She tells a story of his falling down constantly, being in a uh, what she called a clinical depression. She's a former nurse. You know, there, she is prone to exaggeration, as I wrote. But there are enough people in Giuliani's orbit who confirm kind of his state of mind at the time to uh, make a very persuasive case that if she wasn't telling 100% of the story, she was telling close to it. You know, I know her. I, I, I know, obviously, there's a tension and struggle between the two of them now, but I, I actually um, know her a long period of time. And so distress there for me, too. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You walk up to people on the street after 2001, super unambivalent about Mayor Giuliani. Most people say, okay, give the guys due, help pull the city together, a great leader. You walk in New York City today, I think one of the most glaring things for me was on the 21st anniversary of the September 11 tragedy, the mayor is not standing there with the other dignitaries. He's, he's glaringly absent. And so what's the opinion of the mayor in New York City, in your opinion today? an enormously um, unpopular politician. And I think that uh, the biggest proof of that was the candidacy of his son, Andrew Giuliani, for uh, for governor, right? And Giuliani, uh, Rudy Giuliani, was just t- joined to the hip of his son, who was making this absolutely ludicrous effort to become governor with, you know, zero experience. But Giuliani made this almost a referendum on him, right? Andrew had no experience. He had no qualifications at all and seemed perfectly happy to let uh, Giuliani become kind of uh, the face of the campaign, let people vote based upon whether they loved him or not. And Andrew lost by 20 points. Giuliani in much of New York, not all of New York, but much of New York is a radioactive figure, is someone who is kind of a figure of uh, of ridicule, also almost a figure of embarrassment, right? New Yorkers elected him to two terms. On the other hand, there were precincts of New York where he campaigned, you know, the more conservative area, Staten Island, where uh, Rudy was still greeted as a hero. I think a lot of people still have a lot of gratitude towards him for what he did for New York on 9-11. I know you're objective. I know you're a journalist. You get paid to be objective. Is it is it painful for you? You know, it's, you know, I am a journalist and how it how I feel about it is not really important. <laughs> um, so I'm going to skirt that question just a little. What I will say is this. I was with Giuliani on the morning of September 11th. It's painful for me, Andrew. I just point that out. I'm just curious. Okay, good. good. I don't want to interrupt you. You were with him on September 11th. Yeah, I was with him on 9-11. I, um, I experienced that morning with him. I ran from the explosion of the second tower with him. I watched him um, display magnificent leadership. You know, we were all scared to death. We were covered in sweat as we were kind of making this nomadic trip up Church Street, trying to find a location to take control of this, you know, anarchic situation. I mean, they didn't even have a car. 
right? We had to walk a mile just to, you know, find this um, small firehouse near Houston Street where someone got a crowbar to try to jimmy open the lock, the firehouse, just so, you know, he could find some place to run the city. He was the calmest person in the bunch. He was enormously uh, eloquent, as you know. And so, you know, for me to watch kind of Giuliani then and Giuliani now is, you know, obviously a very kind of harrowing contrast, right? I, you know, as a New Yorker, it's, it's disappointing how I feel about it emotionally. Well, you know, I can tell my, you know, my family members. <laughs> he said, he said something to me and, you know, that he was reading Roy Jenkins's book, Churchill. Uh, it was a biography that was on his nightstand right. about Churchill's backbone and his principles during the war, uh, May 1940, when that war was breaking out and there was a panic overtaking the city of London. Now, Churchill remained steadfast and calm, and he was really trying to channel that energy during 9-11, which, of course, you and I both know that he did. Yep. Let's go to Donald Trump for a second, because you you, you also say in the book that uh, in some ways Giuliani created the template for the Trump presidency. Sure. Trump admired Giuliani. We both know that. He admired the way he ran the city. You mentioned the fact that they got close after the uh, presidential candidacy debacle. Right. Elaborate on that for us. What did you learn about the relationship between these two men? Sure. Well, I mean, going back to the 90s, you know, Donald Trump was a developer who had, you know, not a lot of sophistication about politics. He was a developer and what he knew about politics and government were um, what served him. Right. He needed zoning approvals. Right. He, he needed the buildings apartment kind of approvals for his projects. But he was not a politically sophisticated person. And he probably all he probably knew about politics was what he read in The New York Post every morning. But Giuliani was up there making a, this great impression upon the entire public. And if you listen, listen to Trump now, he he describes Giuliani always with this terms of glowing respect, glowing respect and aides. I mean, you would know this better than I was. You, you were inside the Oval Office. But, you know, aides I spoke with said that he reserved this certain level of respect in his the way he spoke about um, people really uh, to just kind of one person, right? He he spoke about Giuliani, unlike what he spoke about, how he spoke about other people. Sorry about mixing this all up. But he, he had a lot of respect for Giuliani. And according to the White House aides I spoke with, he, he admired Giuliani's um, take no prisoners approach uh, to the mayoralty, his, his bombast, his war with the press, his failure, um, his refusal to ever apologize, the fact that he would be, you know, sadistic with his political opponents. And th this was the template for Trump. You know, Giuliani was Trump before there was Trump. You know, I, I totally agree. I love that aspect of the book. Andrew Giuliani. Let's talk about him for a second, okay? Because I like Andrew. Uh, it's fair to say that nobody knows Mayor Giuliani better than Andrew. Something that people don't realize about that relationship. Well, you know, they've had a very fraught relationship. They're they're obviously on very good terms now. But Judith caused a major schism in Rudy's relationship with his children. Andrew and Caroline didn't speak to their father for years because they detested Judith so much. They, uh, you know, just like everyone else, they cons they considered her enormously manipulative and also kind of threatened by them. Watching Andrew kind of 
bond or rebond once again with his father during his race for governor was kind of a level of psychodrama that uh, <laughs> you don't really see in a political stage. Like watching him work through his feelings towards his father and watching his father work through his feelings towards his son was probably the, the only fascinating thing about Andrew's Andrew's race for governor. Their, their father and son and every family has this dysfunction, but the difference is they played it out, you know, before the Camerons. Yeah. And, 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 you know, some of it obviously painful for me to watch again, you know, the, the, this is an obscure fact, but I actually hired Andrew at the White House. I mean, oh, he got the job okay. anyway, but he was supposed to work for me in the OPL area. And then, of course, previous dislodged me from that position, which was fine. But Andrew ended up staying in the position for four years. Um, all right. I want to place I want to have a little bit of fun with you, if you don't mind. Mr. Giuliani was born on the 28th of May in 1944. So he's a Gemini. And so the uh, the profile of the Gemini you're smiling is a split personality. That there are two sides to the person and there's a good side and a bad side. Interestingly enough, Donald Trump is also a Gemini. So before I let you go, tell me one thing about the good side of Mayor Giuliani and one thing about the bad side. He... Um was very, very loyal to his friends, very loyal to his aides, fatherly towards um, the people who worked under him. He was very thoughtful in his decision-making. This is kind of the Giuliani of the 90s I'm referring to. One of the interesting experiences I had in writing this book was trying to, at first, kind of pry these people open in terms of their cooperation. And for the first year, I mean, I spent three or four years writing this book. The first year, it was hard to get his old days to talk about him. And this is despite the fact that the vast majority are completely embarrassed by him now. But there's so much loyalty towards him for the old days. They, he was their father figure. They loved him. They respected him. That was the depth of the loyalty and how well he treated them. So that was the good side of Giuliani. The bad side of Giuliani was the person who uh, would fabricate the Ukraine scandal, who would try to overturn a democratic election, who would use false information in testifying before the, the Georgia legislature, who would do anything to win, even if it meant overturning a democratic election, damaging the country. I mean, that's, that's uh, it's, as I said, it's immoral. It's immoral. It makes me very, very sad. I don't think there's anybody other than a family member, perhaps, that knows him better than you. So what is something that people don't realize about Mayor Giuliani? Well, uh, one of the interesting, one of the most interesting revelations to, to me was this psychiatrist's report about his father, right? Wayne Barrett, the wonderful investigative reporter who's uh, no longer with us, revealed years ago that Harold Giuliani, Giuliani's father, had gone to prison for robbing a milkman. He was an enforcer for mobbed up uncle of Giuliani's, you know, carried a baseball bat, right? Broke kneecaps. But there was a report on Harold shortly before he was sentenced by a court-appointed um, psychiatrist who diagnosed Harold as a pathological deviant, someone who had no concern for other people's feelings, right? The fact that Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani, grew up in a household with a figure like that, someone prone to violence, someone who didn't care about other people's feelings, is 
is something that really you, you have to think about when you wonder what went wrong for Rudy Giuliani, right? His mother, Helen, was a very disciplined, loving, doting mother, but who was also uh, almost impossible to please. So the net net of that childhood was that Giuliani set out in the world determined to achieve, prove himself at all costs. I think what we've seen has borne that out. You know, it's. A, I'm so glad I asked the question because it's such a fascinating answer. And of course, you know, if you study Greek tragedy in the house of Atreus, Atreus uh, does something very diabolical. And Zeus says the sins of the father of Atreus will be casted down upon his descendants. And so it's a metaphor for people do mimic their parents and they do go through their parents' struggles. It's almost like an emotional inheritance it comes from family trauma or personalities in a family. And it's almost as if Mayor Giuliani, in his desperate attempt to escape that, the stuff that you describe about Harold Giuliani, uh, somehow it, it, he fell back into some of those elements. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you need a psychiatrist as much as a journalist to understand Rudy Giuliani. I mean, his whole career has been one continuing psychodrama from is cheating on his wives to horrible, you know, immoral choices he made along the way to his relationship with his family, to his kind of dysfunctional relationship with Donald Trump. The, the man's psychology is, uh, you know, part of the fun of being a reporter, trying to understand this guy. Well, I so greatly appreciate you coming on. The title of the book is Giuliani, The Rise and Tragic Fall of America's Mayor. It's by Andrew Kurtzman. And I'm um, encouraging everybody to read the book because there's a lot in there, not only about his personality, but it's a story about life. And it's a story about the vectors and the places that life can take you if, frankly, you're not careful. Well said. Thank you for having me. Hearing Andrew talk about Rudy's dad, Harold Giuliani, was fascinating. That emotional inheritance we get from our parents haunts people. And it's important to break that cycle. Clearly, Mayor Giuliani couldn't, and we're observing that tragedy today. What makes a tragedy? A hero makes a tragedy. And how do we define a hero? A hero, okay, a superhero, it's somebody that goes beyond what we're expecting from a human being, and they transcend to a higher level, and they either do something ridiculously magnanimous, or they do something brave or courageous, or they stand in the face of high pressure, and they lead. And so what do you have here is you have the story of a hero, and so the weird part about this story is it's probably the broken relationships that he had in his family that led him into politics. Most of these people that go into politics, you can trace back something in their lives broke when they were kids. Uh, William Jefferson Blythe, who took on his stepfather's name and became William Jefferson Clinton, his father died uh, drunk driving before he was born, as an example. Tragedy in the Nixon family, where Nixon lost one of his brothers to unpasteurized milk. In the Bush family, George Herbert Walker Bush lost his daughter to leukemia. George Walker Bush lost his sister to leukemia. And so usually you have these traumatic things that are happening in these people's lives, and they want to go into public service to sort of cleanse and launder themselves. And so here's Rudy Giuliani coming from this sort of 
dysfunctional family, dysfunctional dad. And now he's going to be the superhero and sort of save New York. He swoops in to do this. He handles himself with such courage and such principled leadership during 9-11 that he becomes America's mayor and he gets to the cover of Time Magazine as the Time Man of the Year and he ascends to presidential status or presidential timber status and actually runs for president. And yet underlying all this is the lurking, underlying all this is the lurking of his family. And ultimately he makes the decision that he only really wants to be relevant Temporary relevance is more important to the mayor than principle. Let's talk about Mayor Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani. What, what do you think of Mayor Giuliani, Ma? I think he was an excellent mayor, but I think he got caught up with Trump, who, who was too blunt. And I think that he was envious of the way you spoke. Talk- and you were a better speaker than well, you, him. You, and you're, you're talking about Henry. Trump. You're talking about Trump. But what about Giuliani? What did you like about Giuliani? I thought he, he cleaned New York. It wasn't it, it wasn't like it was before or even. I think that uh, Eric Adams has the right idea of uh, mental hospitals being opened. And the Blasio just kind of walked through it. And yeah. I, I don't understand why he walked through it. Yeah, People he, that are mentally ill need homes. Yeah. They don't need streets with blankets on them. I agree with you, Mo. You know, Rudy Giuliani's father, okay, I interviewed an author, Andrew Kurtzman. Andrew spoke a lot about Rudy's father. And he said that Rudy's father, Harold Giuliani, had an impact on him. What family member do you think has had the biggest impact on me, Ma? Other than you, what of course. family Other, member? Yeah. My brother, Sal. Your brother, Sal. Okay, so why is that? He owned the motorcycle shop in the town. He was an entrepreneur. And his name was Ghost, and right? he became a legend of the town. But he had uh, many sides to him. He raised five children on his own when his wife left them. Mm-hmm. And he he weathered everything. He weathered the good and the bad. And he had very good friends that helped him weather it. But he had all kinds of people going into that shop. And my two sons worked for him. And I think that they learned good people and, and cuckoo people. And I think that w- that ha- has helped you become successful because when you meet people in business, sometimes they're nuts and they try to take over. And, and he used to say, don't be afraid to, to speak your piece to anybody. I remember yeah, so him he had, saying it He had no children. fear, right? That's what I said in his eulogy when he died in August of 2021. I said he had absolutely no fear. But no fear. what about meeting Billy Joel with Uncle Sal? Did you like that? Say that again. What about meeting Billy Joel... The singer with Uncle Sal. Did you like meeting Billy Joel? Did I like meeting Billy Joel? I have pictures of him and me and my brother. I was drove a bike when I was 30 years old. I burned my, my leg twice on the tailpipe, and my brother made me get back on it. And when I got back on it, I was at the races, and I didn't know what I was doing 100%. And I went to the woods, and then with leeches there, and the leeches were all over me. Yes, I remember that story, Ma. But but so you think Sal had the biggest impact on me, right? Absolutely. When you when you saw me jump off that tower in the special forces show, you said, All right, that was nuts the way Sal would be, right? When I was twelve years old, I can still remember it. 
there were bikes lined up. And I don't remember if it was two bikes or three, but he did jump over them like Evil Knievel. And when he jumped over them, he did something. To, I can't remember exactly what he did to his foot. Uh, but he landed it, wrong. It was in a cast. Yeah, he broke, he his, did, broke he, his leg. He did land right. And you have that edge to you. You have a lot of sides to you. You have a warm, giving, beautiful side, and, and you're edgy-like. All right, so you just loaded with new information. You know, you're the best. I'm going to I'm going to come over and see you in a little bit. I just working right now. All right, I love you, Ma. All thanks right, for baby. thanks for joining you, the show. I am Anthony Scaramucci and that was Open Book. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, tell your friends and make sure you hit follow or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. While you're there, please leave us a rating or review. If you want to connect with me to chat more about the discussions, it's at Scaramucci on Twitter. It's also at Scaramucci on Instagram. You can text me at plus one nine one seven nine oh nine two nine nine six. I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what you think and who you'd like to see on our show next. I'll see you back here next week.